If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm David Breer, Group CEO here at 11FS. In today's episode, we're examining the concept of fast following. Is this something really that is possible? It's something that we hear a lot from clients or different organizations. Uh, and is it always a bad thing? Is that strategy something that people should be a little bit of ashamed of in uh, in 2023 or not? Uh, how can you get this right? What pitfalls to avoid? Um, and much like the recent episode that we did, uh, myself and Ewan, talking about actually how you put the services back in financial services, this is something really we want to just have a an inside of 11FS conversation about and open up that conversation to you guys, our, our listeners. Uh, a, because it's super interesting. And B, just so we don't have to keep repeating ourselves, quite frankly. Um, we're going to have something of a, a bit of a fireside chat. Uh, and actually, if I welcome to the to the show, Jason Bates, who is Deputy CEO here at 11FS. Uh, it's something, Jason, me and you talk about pretty frequently, isn't it? Yeah, it's always interesting when you talk to a new client. I mean, what, we've spent the last seven years building new fintech propositions, new banks, new... Uh, approaches to market for some of the biggest incumbents in the world. And inevitably, they point at a local competitor and say, we want to do one of those. So, you know, it's the it's the default position, I guess, the fast following. Yeah, and I, and I know. I mean, from early days of um, of our relationship, actually, you know, when you were back in your Starling days, in fact, I, I mean, I, I remember you saying a few times, you know, you go to a conference and talk to them about what you were doing at Starling or, or what you're doing at Monzo, and they were like, "Well, if that goes well, then we'll uh, we'll probably just copy what you guys are doing," you know. So it's uh, it's an interesting context, isn't it? But maybe I guess if we start with you know, what is a fast follower? Like when somebody says, well, should we just be a fast follower? What what do they mean by that? Because I guess there's both a, there's both a positive way you could think about that uh, and a negative way that you could think about it, I guess. Well, I guess I'm going to go to the, uh, the oracle of all information, ChatGPT, that says <laughs> that a fast follower is a company that quickly imitates the innovations of market pioneers, often improving upon them to gain competitive advantage. Interesting. So, so I guess I mean speed is a big part of that, isn't it? If we're were to believe, uh, you know, what ChatGPT says there. But, but I guess that's always been my sort of gut reaction to why I don't think that strategy works in a big incumbent organization. Is that typically what they mean when they're going to do a fast follower? Is they're going to take all of the features that they've seen somebody else do without any of the understanding of why they do them or the benefit that they really bring to a consumer, and then plug them into a a waterfall change process that two years later might spit out that feature. And that doesn't really benefit the customer and doesn't really benefit your internal organization in terms of really understanding why you're doing what you're doing, right? So, and, and fundamentally, I guess, fails on the fast point of that definition, doesn't it? In terms of, you know, quickly following what somebody else has actually managed to achieve. So is that fair or am I being uh, difficult? 
I guess you have to look at what are the underlying capabilities that make you a great fast follower. And ultimately, that's about uh, execution. It's about process. It's about being able to uh, deliver faster and iterate faster, forgetting somewhat about the innovation and the creating and the kind of lean startup, let's do experiments and focusing more on the the other side of things. Actually, execution is the key to success in many of these things, not having a great idea at the start. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting challenge then. I mean, is this a, is this a byproduct of organizations actually just being slow at change more broadly then so you know is this a people sort of almost um you end up wearing the t-shirt that you've got is it a strategic decision that they've made to be a fast follower or just by the nature of their big organizational waterfall processes do they have any other option than take that approach it gets complicated here because if we're talking about small innovations, small improvements in process, small optimizations, then even large organizations can roll those out fairly quickly. If we're talking about changes in an operating model, especially in heavily regulated industries where you've got the life savings of millions of people uh, and, and regulator scrutiny to make sure that you're not creating problems even with that innovation, then, um, then that's something different. And, and I think we're, we're always at that discussion of, are we really just digitizing what came before or are we creating this new digital operating model, which actually you can't fast follow as a large incumbent most of the time because you're just not made for, for doing that. Yeah. And, and I guess that, that push there then, I mean, this isn't necessarily a bad thing in that context, as you say, then, isn't it? You know, the the place not to be innovative, bizarrely, given all of the changes that are happening in the market is your core banking systems or your, you know, your risk and control processes. Like, let's be really non-innovative in those things. Let's uh, let's have them incredibly stable. Let's have them incredibly boring, right? So, so banks have got this sort of a bit of a, a dichotomy there, haven't they, in terms of actually the pressures on them in some senses, those systems of record need to be, you know, ultra bulletproof and slow moving. And so they should be. But actually, uh, really what we're talking about here, then the, you know, the model fast following worked when actually the market wasn't moving fast. Is that fair? Fast following works when the market isn't moving fast. Yeah. So so I, I'd say really, if you look at the that as a strategy, and actually, if I look back at my, my career at, at Lloyd's Banking Group, you know, from 2008 to 2012, I mean, it felt like everything was changing, but really nothing was really changing and not, you know, nowhere near changing at the same pace as it was today. The competitive landscape was different. The the people in the market was different. The, the organizations that I was worried about when I was the green one and there was somebody in you know, some red ones and some blue ones and whatnot. Actually, the market was moving so much slower than it is today. And actually, if you stand back from the competitive landscape and really everything that's happened, like actually, can you afford to be late to the market with changes? I, I, what I always feel, and we we always say this, I know when we talk to people as well, Jason, is like there's sort of two things you've got to kind of always care about you know, when you try and get to the end of a project is like, have you delivered it in the way that you said you would do? And does anybody care? And, and I think the challenge with being a fast follower is like, actually, people, to your point around execution, I think every bank has really smart people who see problems and, and actually see opportunities in the market that go, hey, the ROI, the investment case for this thing would be really significant if we can make it happen. But actually, if you never get to market in time to realize the opportunity, 
can you ever really, what are you following people to? You know, are you following to the ROI of an investment case or are you just following to market parity? Because if your aspiration for your organization is just, yeah, well, you know, we're sort of, we're about as good as everybody else is. It's like, well, you know, I'm not sure you can still be marketing yourself by all of the things that you're marketing to be for the customer if all you're actually aiming at for is just to be not as were any worse than anybody else. Yeah, look, I, I, I guess when we're talking about a slow-moving, mature market, then we're really talking about slow following. And that's great, especially if the forces around regulation and making sure your organization of 40,000 people stays together and coherent, then actually disruption is a really bad idea. Actually, you want to, to put in all of the controls and processes and organization to make sure that the steady state isn't disrupted because that's the steady state that's actually providing this vital utility. So if the, if the market changes and if underlying societal changes then change what the optimal delivery model is so suddenly it's not branches and phone lines and letters but it's actually real-time intelligent banking services and that's a, a fairly hefty change and all of the controls that you put in to make sure that you don't disrupt the service that you've created this vital utility are then obviously anchors to slow down the change that you can deliver so it's you know, part of this is, and going back to the, the kind of Starling Monzo uh, days, you know, when you talk to a, a banker and he says, well, um, you know, what product are you selling? And he's, he's working from that product distribution paradigm. And we say, well, actually, it's a current account with a little bit of overdraft lending. And they go, well, oh, that's not great. You know, good luck making money with that. Um, it's a, it's missing the fact that we're moving on the retail banking side towards these services that do work for people, this private banking for the mass market, the 10 times better service for 10 times lower cost. And that ultimately, if that is the future, then iterating to that, being a fast follower towards getting there rather than just providing a prettier statement and a, a better form design for signing up to a new account um, is quite a big ask. And I think that's where the intricacies, it sounds great, like we should all be fast followers, but you've got to look at what are the forces that are preventing that. And some of them are there for good reason. So then the question is, well, how do you become a rapid execution scaling organization that has the capabilities in order to do that safely, but but rapidly. Yeah. And I, and I guess to that point, I mean, when, you know, nobody was really doing anything in the market and the market was, you know, slow moving, as, as we say, then actually, I mean, the impact to the customer is relatively minimal, isn't it? Because, you know, the feature parity is almost, you know, somebody does a thing and then, you know, slowly the market moves in that direction, right? But, but what really is the impact in for a customer and end consumer. And actually, I mean, I, I guess that impact on consumers on on the banks as well, right? I, I mean, in a in a consumer uh, experience perspective, we sort of see, you know, early innovators, the people who want to be experiencing, you know, the 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 best and the, the cutting edge. You know, there's always that crazy guy on the iOS beta, right? You know, there's that there's always that person. But but actually that does apply with financial services as well, right? People are looking, particularly as fintech has got cooler and cooler over the years, then there are people who will disappear from one big bank to a, a fintech or even from one fintech to another fintech because they're doing more innovative things, right? But I, I guess from a bank's perspective, I mean, 
that they've been doing this for years. This is not this is not just about experience. This is about product as well. And uh, I mean, like old fashioned financial instrument, not just product is in a product management sense, but, but, you know, tweaking product features, you turn on the taps for bringing in customers or exiting customers, potentially if you, your risk profile shifts, right? So, uh, but the, the end consumer, I guess, is impacted by this ultimately, right? We, I, I think, as you said earlier on, we are uh, increasingly in financial services, kind of what we do rather than just what we say. Um, which I think is a good thing, you know, but I guess the impact on end consumers, if you are uh, a fast follower and you are, you know, by nature, a lot slower to release new capability and bring things to market, I guess inherently there are, you know, there are risks that come with that from a security perspective. There are, you know, uh, experiential benefits, the niceties that you could have that are problems as well, right? So there's so many factors in in whether customers are going to to change to a new product or not, and whether being a fast follower is a good idea. Because in the end, that's all about timing. So we've had this fundamental underlying shift, or we're in the middle of it. Uh, we're moving from, from the analog, digitized kind of, here's your monthly statement printed and sent to your house, to a world where we can get that in real time, and we can add technology over the top in order to do real work for you. And we're seeing that disrupt a variety of industries, whichever industry you look at. Suddenly that real-time, intelligent, contextual, just-in-time service via um, some kind of uh, technology, whether it's smartphone, desktop, TV, whatever, is is here. And so then the question is, well, how does that affect our industry? How do, And how does it affect retail banking, insurance, and investments, and pensions? And... And so if you're the, the big incumbent, then you don't want to go out and, to, and put your brand at risk in terms of doing crazy experiments that people might look at and go, wow, why is that company doing that? That's, that's not going to work. And no one signs up for it. So a bit like Facebook, Google, you know, uh, Meta, um, you look at the market and you see what's working, what's gaining traction, what's what's out there. And as long as you can either buy that company or copy it quickly, uh, then arguably you're looking for the signal within the noise in order to say, actually, there's going to be something there and we can jump onto it. So in the UK, for instance, you know, we we had that wave suddenly of everyone saying, well, look, digital banking is never going to be a thing. It's not going to work. People um, value the in-person um, interaction. They won't trust small brands, all of this kind of thing. And suddenly we've got these outflows from big banks to the new players. And so then you get an organization like Chase comes along and basically does something pretty much you know, similar in their brand to what's in the market already. Does it really quickly? Doesn't do an MVP? Doesn't do a beta? Just launches the um, an equivalent digital bank. And they've got obviously a large organization behind them. They've got lots of capital. They can sweeten the deal. They can start to pull customers in. So for me, that's a, you know, a good fast follower strategy. You execute it hard, fast. You make it so that when people log into the app, you go, actually, this is kind of what I expect. It does just what it says. And they're giving me this cash back. And it's a really big organization that isn't going to lose the money. Great. Here we go. Yeah, it sort of starts to tick a lot more boxes in that sense, in in terms of the competitive landscape there. But um, but I guess I mean Chase is an interesting one, isn't it? Because they've they've obviously uh, you know this is the second or third time third time I think that you know JP Morgan Chase have attempted to build something like this. Um, and I, I mean I often say it's it's sort of not what you do; it's the way that you do it. I mean their products 
okay, you know, like the challenger bank, you know, status tick, you know, but actually it's the things that underpin it as an operation that make it unique. You know, they're the things that actually mean it can, you know, yes, it followed into the market, but are they the, the operational, the digital operational capability? They're the things that actually means it can sustain what it's doing. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick break and pause very quickly. Uh, we'll be back with you shortly. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. So I, I guess, Jason, picking up really a little bit on on what we were talking about just before the break, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about fast followers and and actually in what circumstances it sort of makes sense and sort of doesn't make sense. And, and, and you know, often these debates are semantics, aren't they? But semantics, as an organisation who's draws a large distinction between digitized and digital. We shouldn't get too hung up on uh, calling people out for a semantic argument in that sense. But uh, um, but actually, I want to sort of dig a little bit deeper into what we sort of mean by that, though, because I think there is something sort of underpinning this that's actually quite important, which, uh, I mean, I've I've been sort of quoted as uh, producer Laura said, you said this thing, can you explain it? And I've been quoted as saying, feature parity is not product parity, explain. So uh, what I kind of meant by that is, Actually, I think the the shift, as you've described, towards more of a service-led, uh, you know, we talked in the last episode about putting services back in financial services, the services view, those intelligent services that, that sh- moving away from just those commodity products into those intelligent services, that structure, that for me is a purpose-driven mandate of financial services. And the people pulling those things together within the organizations that are really driving in that direction have an incredibly clear view of the customer's problems. They're having a very incredibly clear view of the problems that they're solving, the way in which they go about solving those things. It gives everything that they're doing meaning. And actually the challenge, and I don't mean that in like a, oh my God, like hands, like post-it notes and hands wavy design process. I mean, like, actually we're really clear about the problem we're solving. We're really clear on who this is for. We're really clear on actually when we get there, what we're doing next in order to build from that, you know, product management in the new sense, uh, you know, being, being really embedded in that, uh, that approach to delivering those things. So going back to that, you know, it's not just what you're doing. It's not just the features. 
It's the way that you're doing it. It's the the purpose-driven product strategy that you're pulling together, right? So for me, this is the big difference. You know, I, I think big organizations still see what other people do as emulatable things without really considering how they weave into the tapestry of their purpose and actually the problems that they solve for their customers. And that becomes the challenge. You know, I, I think anybody can blindly deliver things to their customers. But if you don't really understand why those things really materially benefit your consumer or actually how they really tie into what your your service proposition is, then that's where I think it becomes really dangerous because, uh, you know, just doing what other people have done because they did it doesn't necessarily... It's that old... Uh, I remember mum... It's like, look, if everybody jumped off a cliff, would you just jump off a cliff? You know, it's like that narrative. Like, actually... Just because other people are doing it doesn't mean it makes total sense or that actually just bolting into all of the stuff that you've already got means that actually your service proposition improves. Because, I mean, if we look at customer satisfaction as a, as a good point here, it's like, actually, uh, I reckon, I mean, Chase has done a lot of the things that Monzo's done, you know, at least in the early stages, right? But I don't see their customer satisfaction numbers being close yet. Uh, or, you know, Barclays have emulated a lot of the stuff that Starling's done, right? But the customer satisfaction scores are dramatically different in terms of it. So the features you deliver to your customer are not your product. Your your product and your service proposition around that, what you stand for, what you don't stand for, what people believe about you as an organization, I think that's a much bigger thing. I th- I'd like to pull out two, two parts to that. Um, the first is that it really depends on the maturity of your industry. Uh, you, you could argue that actually banks haven't had to do proper strategy in a f- few hundred years because basically you you know there's a like an optimal way of being able to at scale manage people's finances and so we ossified around these current accounts and secured lending credit cards mortgages they were someone at some point had to come up with those products which were satisfying customer needs making money leveraging capital in the right way you know uh, and and actually once that was found as like the optimal for that era then you could kind of forget about a lot of the stuff above it it's just like deliver that and do it well and operate that so when things change um, it, it's the it's the classic sort of innovators dilemma stuff. You actually have to go back to first principles. You know, Anne Bowden used to say, you know, half of people in retail banking really don't understand how retail banking makes money, like the basics of capital, liquidity, risk, and how that sort of comes together. And then really what value we're delivering for customers and how that works. So if you can get back to the first principles, you say, does that really fit now? Or is there a better way given we can have this instant um communication with massive amounts of technology we can bring to bear in order to deliver better services for end customers. And so from that perspective, you kind of have to forget the, well, banking is really about these products because it's about these products. It's like, well, it was when the market and society looked in a certain way, but it looks different now. And so there's a new set, there's a new structure to this that we're going to have to find. So we kind of have to drop that and go to that first principles view, to the outcome view, to the meaning view. And to be honest, I, I still think we're a long way, a long way from that. 
Because while even the best challenger banks can offer pots and maybe a very basic salary sorter and uh, the ability to have these real-time balances, they're almost components of a financial system rather than a financial system themselves. Like people who are good really set up their accounts in clever ways, their joint account, the, the account they're saving for a holiday, something for an emergency fund. They're relabeling the accounts. They're doing all of that. But no one's really helping people who are who are not that into you know finance finance and and managing their own money. So I still feel we've we've got to the point where we're giving people components, but there's steps further. So I, I still feel we've got a, a fair way to go on that. In that first principles, what are we really trying to do to make people's lives easier, to keep them out of financial difficulties, to help them make the right decisions, but to give them the freedom to make the wrong decisions if they if they want, as long as they know the end outcomes. So on one side, you've got the, and if things have changed radically, then you need to almost approach this, you know, from the Feynman uh, principle, you know, first principles, what can we do? How does the financial technology work, the financial product, and then how do we deliver real value? On the other hand, you've got the, the intent. So, you know, the MPS scores, there, there's something about, well, what are people delivering for me? And then there's other, there's another component of that in, do I think that they're doing this for my best interest? I mean, the obvious example being the NPS score for First Direct versus HSBC. Arguably on the same systems with the same people. Now, okay, different, maybe different call center approach, but First Direct is far better than HSBC in general. And you kind of think, well, that's just not about the kind of product as well. There's something beyond that. There's some kind of, there is a brand halo around this, which actually gives people a benefit. So I think that there is challenger banks, arguably less tarnished from the financial crisis and, you know, less of that, oh, they're always after me for fees and charges. And to some extent, they can leverage that. They can actually have non-competitive products uh, financially and still do better than the uh, the big banks. So it, it's interesting. I think that there's a, that sort of from first principles bit does break down into a number of um, number of areas. Yeah. I mean, does that, um, I mean, that connectivity though, between, I mean, it, it sounds so obvious when you say it out loud, doesn't it? It's like the connectivity between why are we doing this thing and like then actually doing it effectively and then explaining why you did it. I mean, it it just sort of sounds so obvious when you say it out loud, right? But but I, I think there's a problem there though, which is if you are essentially just emulating what other people have done, do you really understand why you're doing it? Um, and actually, you know, that that point that you make around, uh, you know, banks haven't really had to do, you know, strategy in its truest sense for a while. I actually think that that has changed. And I mean, we know this from the work that we're doing, right? The the sort of the biggest strategy that actually I think everybody is really trying to come to terms with right now is, do we really understand our customers and what their problems are? Because actually in a market where the world has shifted, you know, COVID and political unrest and, you know, the world changing and I don't know, Trump, throw in throw in whatever stuff you want to throw in at that point, everybody. Um, then essentially, do we really understand uh, our purpose of the problem that we solve for our customers is is a pretty big question, isn't it, in that, in that uh, and way? And where's the world going? I mean, you, you know, you, every, year on year, you can put in a nice budget for an incremental change to match someone else. Um, but ultimately, then you look at your systems and thinking, think, well, actually, my capital expenditure this year is just increasing my operating expenditure next year. I can't go on like this. So I'm going to have to make some moves. 
but to make those big moves, I've really got to have an idea or an understanding, a belief, a, a hypothesis on what the future is. Like, what is my investment investment thesis, uh, and where do I think that retail banking or insurance or pensions or investments are going? Because then, in to some extent. I have to place a bet or I, I have to at least have some optionality understanding directionally where do I think this is all going to go. Yeah. Uh, so, so I guess sort of, you know, bringing to some sort of conclusion before we sort of talk a little bit about, well, then what do people do? Really, like the argument isn't whether being a fast follower is a good idea or not. It's actually that the context of what fast is, is fundamentally different now than it ever was before, really. You know, we're, we're sort of talking about the customers are acting in a completely different way, you know, which is essentially the food chain, right? You know, we're, we're seeing uh, competitors move and, you know, emerge in completely different ways, you know, arguably who are all better equipped from a service-led propositional basis to you know, find product market fit and continually iterate on those things. But really the big shift here is going from, you know, project-based, annualized, you know, feature chasing projects to actually we've got to always be iterating, always be learning, always be moving forwards. And and actually that that shift is is difficult, isn't it? You know, this isn't just a, oh yeah, let's do that. That sounds sensible. Well it's like it's actually, also the it's also the iterating towards what? Because Okay, you're on the suddenly you're on the investment committee for one of the big banks in the world, and there's a thousand projects that you could do next. What are you going to pick? How do you decide? So you have to have some kind of hypothesis so that you know what you're going to say no to and what you're going to say yes to. Otherwise, you're doing a thousand unrelated random things that all kind of move move the organisation forward or inc- improve the uh, customer experience. But it becomes less coherent, less focused. You know, you it's difficult to know what we should be looking for, what we should be doing, unless you've got some kind of North Star as to where to head. I think the other thing that we've not spoken about is um, fast following in different territories. Because when you look at an organization like Rocket Internet, which is arguably the poster child for fast following, they made a business empire basically taking Amazon and then applying it somewhere where there wasn't an Amazon, Uber, right, here we go. And in financial services, equally, you could say, well, oh, okay, Klarna, let's put it in Ethiopia or Indonesia or somewhere where it isn't already. So that view where you actually say, well, you know, what is one of these models that works really well? And is there a place in the world where it doesn't exist yet? Off we go, boys. And, um, you know, and away you go. So I, I think that there's, I think that's also an, an interesting opportunity, especially if you're a global bank, to start to say, well, what are the winning plays? And are there territories that we're in that, that one of these plays doesn't exist yet? Because, you know, you, you're, you're then taking a fast following approach to being a first mover. Win win. That sounds good. Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel like a bank would like that as a sticker. Like, do you know, what I mean, like uh, they. Uh, but uh, I, I, the the idea of of following global trends to impact. I mean, arguably, our success has been down to that to a certain degree. You know, the changes in the UK to Hong Kong to then Singapore to you know the explosion of change that we're seeing in the Middle East right now. You know, definitely, if you've seen the movie before, then you're probably better placed to to help. You know what the runners and the riders and the successes in that sense. But I, I guess um, to anybody listening to this, they're probably like, yeah, but our technology sucks. Like, so all of this stuff about fast following is great, but actually like we're talking about, you know, we're talking about really why 
This is why banks end up iterating on the sprinkles on top of, you know, rotten ice cream, you know, like actually, you know, when that's the only part of the uh, the process that they've really got leverage to, you know, yes, I can make some ex- I can change the colors and I can update my logo. It's why big organizations will prefer to do a big brand change than they will actually anything meaningful because it's, well, yeah, I can just pay for new TV adverts or I can change these things in this way. But the actual underpinning of our, you know, skeletal system of our bank is difficult to touch, right? So how much, I guess, Jason, is the the speed, you know, the the uh, the sort of metronome of an organization dictated by the underlying infrastructure, the underlying technology set. You know, I know it's, we got into it a little bit last time with uh, you and around Conway's law, but it feels like that's such a fundamental, isn't it? But this is the real reason it's critical, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it reminds me of that banking battlefield slide we use a fair amount. It's uh, it's the um, Mark Andreessen quote, can large organizations incumbents transform faster than startups can scale. And that transformation is a multi-decade process for a large organization with tens of thousands of people in a highly regulated industry. It's just a phenomenally difficult, long process, including technology, process, people, you know, all of those uh, classic big five consulting sort of operating model um, things. So, um, so what's the answer, you know, and the, and, you know, as you know, as we often talk to clients, they they have to look at a portfolio approach to this because they're not going to be able to transform fast enough um, in order to get to a point where they can can deliver these intelligent digital services to millions of customers and iterate on them towards these, you know, new, uh, ever more interesting, ever more valuable private banker to the mass market style services. So. What does that mean? You're partnering with um, with new players. You're creating new players. There's some level of separation for a new operating model versus the old, as well as changing the old operating model. And so, I think um, I do think a uh, the reason for uh, the innovators' dilemma, which is Clayton Christensen's hypothesis, uh, or it's almost a paradox. Why do the the largest players in the world with all of the brand capital, uh, expertise, experience, staff, everything, how do they get overtaken by new players in their own industries? Like you can point to a hundred examples. Why does that happen? That's, that seems insane. And the, the problem is that operating model change at scale is almost impossible to do fast. And so, you know, you, you look out into the world and you've built a 10, 20, 50, 100,000 person organization based around a particular operating model of pre-digital banking to, to modify that in time in order to, to scale, to transform faster than startups can scale is arguably impossible or, or highly unlikely unless some, um, ridiculous CEO comes in and she decides she's going to just, uh, you know, cut sways through the organization, uh, and make it happen. But there are relatively few of, of those. So, so I think you end up with, with that question. It's like, can fast following, can that transformation really happen in a large organization without a CEO and the backing of the board, um, really going to town, really, you know, making it happen? Yeah. And I'd say, you know, probably the answer to that is no. And actually the, the challenge to that degree is, is almost, 
that goes back to what we were saying earlier on. I mean, in a market where people were not moving very quickly, then that strategy was was applicable. But in a much more, uh, as you've often said, the complex and chaotic you know landscape, then actually the model today is, and really the only the only real differentiator that you can have is that you can see and solve customers' problems quicker than other people can. That might be the thing that attracts customers to you. It might be the thing that retains them with you. Um, but it's definitely going to be the thing that actually determines whether your your brand is just the stuff that we see on the side of London buses or whether it's really the things that you deliver to your customers, isn't it? So so that for for me, I mean, that is what being fast is. You know, being fast is actually it's a mindset as much as anything else, which I know sounds so like I know sounds so hands wavy, <laughs> but it's what we it's really what we mean when we say when we say digital banking is one percent finished, and we say it's actually about the ninety nine percent. The ninety nine percent is not a, a list of features that you can deliver to tick off to achieve a thing. It's the realization that you're never done on this. It's always going to be changing. You've always got to be evolving it. You've got to be taking the things that you were great at that made you successful and sort of challenging them constantly because you're only ever as good of what you do against the conditions of the market. Um, and actually, we're in such an amazing time. You know, the the market is changing, you know, for the better in many ways, radically, you know, these things called interest rates, it's going to change the market in a really exciting way, right? You know, new product configurations, new opportunities, uh, you know, new competing for customers on those things. You know, I mean, it's a very different market now than it was before. But fundamentally, if you can react to the market and capitalize on those changes, you're going to be in a lot better place than the competitor will. Uh, and I think that's it. You know, we've we've grown up in in a mature market, and we've learned habits, behaviors, and what we think are fundamental truths on how you do business. You know, long term strategic planning, the McKinsey, you know, five year plan, and this is how it's all going to work. The Harvard Business School, like this is this is how you do strategic management for maximum efficiency over a long period of time in a in a mature market. But we're not in a mature market now. We're in an extremely immature market. Technological advances, changes in society, interest rates, everything's up in the air. And so all of the kind of startup hand wavy stuff, all lean startup, agile approaches, small teams, microservices, you can look at those and go, well, that's just a bit of a fad. But actually, it's a it's the new way, the new optimal way of doing business strategy and business management, because you can't predict more than a year or two or, you know, however ahead. So all of those techniques and approaches that we just thought was how business was done just don't uh, don't work as well anymore and so therefore from first principles you can get to you know how startups work or how you build technology stacks for maximum um scalability but also uh, flexibility the optionality the building capabilities and remixing them because things are changing and we need to move quickly so i think that 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 underlying societal um business canvas change then means that you have to approach this in a different way. And if your organization is is uh, optimized for the old way of doing things, maximum efficiency over a period of time, long-term planning, you know, really that, that Gantt chart uh, that, that stretches across the wall view, that's just not going to work when actually you have to rip it up on day five because someone else has launched something or chat GPT comes along and we're in a, into a new world. 
So I think actually that that uh, that shift is not the trendy or oh, what a startup's doing. Let's do that as well. Microservices. Oh yeah, that sounds cool. Like you've got to really look into why is that a better approach now? And I do think it's this underlying chaos and complexity and the number of players and the the world we're, that we're in that leads then to a, just a different way of yeah. doing business. And uh, I mean, we've we've sort of joked before, haven't we? I mean, uh, fast following or speed or whatever you know there's a there's a good sort of uh, kind of argument for various different parts of that but i guess really what we're sort of saying is like you know you can opt into evolution or you can opt out of evolution and that's okay you know like you can do both of these things but well, i but think I guess, you have to uh, do both like i really do think that if i was you know ceo of a bank somewhere i'd be driving you know good projects that show good business performance like cut costs um, you know, improve the service that I'm giving to the majority of my customers. But at the same time, you have to know that you're going to have to jump that chasm at some point. You're going to have to get to a point where your organization looks radically different. And what is the transition there? Because I just don't think a large, t- large scale, long term digital transformation is going to do it. So, so what's next? Yeah, what's the answer? And and really, I mean, the point I was going to make is it's it's not really whether you believe in evolution. Evolution definitely believes in you, you know. So actually, uh, you know, th- those steps in the market, you know, those changes are really critical. So, you know, I think organizations looking outside of their own four walls are probably going to be more effective to be able to react to the market than those just purely looking inside. But uh, all right, on that note, uh, hopefully you guys found that interesting. This is the type of conversation that we have at 11FS quite frequently, usually over stakes, I think, with you, Jason, isn't it? <laughs> Which is, uh, which is nice. But that does wrap up today's discussion. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Jay, where can people learn a little bit more about you? Or do you know what? If they wildly disagree with you, how can they get in touch? Oh, yeah. Come and heckle me on LinkedIn. Very good. Uh, as for me, you can find me predominantly lurking actually on the 11FS careers page at this moment. Uh, if you did like what you heard and you want to come and solve some of these problems, head over to 11FS.com forward slash careers, where we've got loads of cool jobs going up to really bring in people who solve these problems uh, and help us change the fabric of financial services. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you like what you heard, follow the podcast. Don't forget us to leave us a review. It really helps us make it better and helps other people find the show as well. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email us on podcasts at 11FS.com. That's podcasts with an S. I always think I say that weird, but hey-ho. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. Goodbye.